welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, October 24th. We are here live. It's my second show from the road on this trip. I am, oh, somewhere just west of St. Louis, about 50 miles or so. Uh, pulled over, got some fuel, got set up to do the show this morning. I, uh, I wanted to get through St. Louis this morning before traffic and then set up on the other side to do the show. So before I went to bed last night, I looked at my watch and I said, all right, I don't set alarms. I looked at my watch and I said, all right, I'm going to get up at four. I'll be on the road by 430. I'll get through without any traffic and I'll set up on the other side. So I woke up and I looked at my watch and it was 347 and I thought, perfect. I got out of bed. I was on the road within minutes. I just closed things up, made some coffee and got rolling and it wasn't long later, and I'm thinking, why does it look like the sun's coming up? And then I looked at the clock in my truck, and it wasn't four when I started. It was six. I haven't, up, I haven't synced my Garmin watch since I left, so it's still on Pacific time. Um, my brain did exactly what I told it to do. I looked at the watch and said, get up at four, and it got up at four according to the watch. So I've got, uh, I don't know, maybe five and a half hours down in Nashville after the show today. I'll roll in sometime early this evening. Uh, and that gives me a little over a week. I'll probably spend some time over at Nastic. I'll be right there. Uh, it does look like I'm going to be tend attending the Freight Waves event as well. I was, I was confused earlier. I thought they were going on at the same time. They're actually a couple days apart. Uh, so... My plans have changed again, and then I'll, uh, I'll be heading down to uh, Destin for a meeting down in Destin in the Panhandle. So I'll probably, now I will be taking the southern route um, back. I'll take I-10, oh, probably out to New Mexico or somewhere, and then jump up to 40, and then probably go home through Moab, kind of take the back way up. Stop in Moab, I always like to spend a night there. Uh, so that's the, the plans for the trip right now. I'm going to bring in, uh, the guys from Pittsburgh power because it is time for an episode of the power hour. We're going to bring Bruce in first. Bruce, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. And, uh, as always, it's our pleasure and I'm on the road too. So, Hey, I've got a question for you. I'm going to rile people up a little bit today. So, there was a time where yep. you traveled on the road and you were, if I remember right, 83 feet long. That's correct. The Kenworth, uh, the Newmark Country Air, and then a garage trailer. Yeah, yeah, quite a setup there. Uh, it, not only is it 83 feet long, you can't, you can't really back up. I mean, it's like doubles. You, you can back up a little bit, but not much. Um, so it's it's got some challenges to be on the road that long. How often did you take a truck spot? In a truck stop, a truck spot? Yeah. Not very often because I did back, I was able to back it up because I didn't have a dolly. So you know how if you're backing up one trailer, you turn the steering oh, wheel yeah. the opposite way. Yeah. You and just... you've got the second trailer, you turn the steering wheel the same way. And the yeah. trick was to have the whole rig on a slight arc. So you could see it, but boy, when I'd be pa back in, in between two owner operators, those guys were out of their trucks and they were watching, which was, 
which was right. fine. We're right. a good time. Right. But so, most of the time when I stopped for the night, if I wasn't in a rest area, I was in a shopping mall, a Walmart, a Lowe's or a Home Depot, or Ace and True Value hardware stores. Yeah, so I, I'm really conscious of that. Right. When, when I travel with my trailer, I'm 76 feet. Right now, I don't have the trailer. I'm very, very conscious of that. I never tra- take a truck spot if there's any place else I can go, uh, especially anywhere where it's crowded. So where I am, I'm coming across 70. I'm shocked at how much parking is available. Last night, I stopped at a rest area to sleep. There had to be at least 30 truck spots open all night. There was hardly anybody in there. So then this morning, I get off the exit, and there's two big, well, one decent-sized truck stop at this exit, and then one small one. So the fuel wasn't even close. The fuel over here at this other stop is like 50 cents cheaper. So I came over to the small spot, got fuel. It's morning, so everybody's already leaving. There might be, I didn't count, I took a picture. There might be 15 truck spots in here. And I think at the moment, there's three trucks and myself. Now, it's morning, everybody's already gone. Every place I've been has had tons of truck parking. And this little spot really doesn't have any place up front. A lot of times in the truck stops, I can just squeeze in up front somewhere, especially overnight. So I parked in, the, in a truck spot in the back corner, and I was able to get over against the curb in a way that I could even put my slides out, not even come close to taking up the one spot I'm in. Within seconds of posting that picture, I had people bitching about me taking a truck spot, not even asking. Two things. One, I never do this if I'm really taking a spot that a truck could use at that moment. Clearly right now, plenty of parking. But then I'll even go a step further. I buy just as much fuel when I'm on the road as any truck out here. I'm getting six miles to the gallon. And I'm working in the trucking industry the whole trip. So kind of pissed me off a little bit. Just ask. You know, I, I get it when they get annoyed when, you know, RVs or cars with small trailers, you know, go in the back and take a spot. I'd get annoyed too, but that's not what I do. Yeah, so that's like just I my said, I, uh, for the morning. I, I, yeah, Walmart parking lots worked well for me, and Ace Hardware and True Value and shopping malls. Uh, I use them all. I, I do too. Um, when I'm doing the show on the road and my time is tight, I'm trying to get a lot of miles in. Uh, I'm doing the show. I need fuel. So for me to you know sleep last night at a Walmart and then drive somewhere to get fuel and then what go back to the walmart to do the show the time would just be i I would lose so much time so all you had to do is look in the picture and you could see it was not crowded yeah no just my rant social media can be tough yeah yeah yeah. yep that's it that's so i thought i'd uh stir the pot a little bit and get people bitching about that because really i am very very (laughs) conscious of it so yeah. All right. Um, one other. Uh, now I'll wait until yeah. I bring Pete and Leroy on. What's on your mind this morning? Well, I've had um, a couple people with head gasket issues on recently rebuilt engines from other people. And I asked what was the line of protrusion set at. Nobody seems to know. 
And I said, did you ask your mechanic prior to letting him take the truck apart? Does he have the tool to cut the upper counter bores? And the answer was no. Uh, always be leery of that. If, if they don't have the tool, do they know somebody that can come in and cut the upper counter bores if they need to be cut? And on the Caterpillar, the 3406Es and the C15s have a 3,000 thinner deck plate that's available. And so if you're low on protrusion, you put the 3,000 thinner deck plate, now you just gain 3,000 in line of protrusion. But for some reason, some mechanics don't seem to know that. Any other thing? Yes. The other thing was cracked heads. And these are on engines that were repaired by other places, and they've advanced the timing. And I always ask, who did the ECM work? And a lot of times I get, well, I don't know. Well, when they're advancing the timing, they break the head. And one particular guy I spoke with has broken three heads. Um, the fact that the engine's been repaired makes it a little more difficult for him to get good service. Yeah, that's for sure. So that's what I have. All right. We will... Uh... We'll be going down right now. We're going south on 301 in Maryland, and we'll be joining in just north of Richmond on 95 and we'll be heading down 95 and if anybody sees us debbie's driving i'm holding the cell phone and we're in a white a8l audi just touch the horn and give us a wave well i'll uh you know i actually posted this morning because i've been doing it i've been taking a picture where i park and then just saying where am i and i usually make sure there's enough clues in the picture you can figure it out so I posted that this morning, and then people started answering, and I realized I don't know where I am. I just got off an exit. You know, I knew I was getting close to St. Louis, and I needed to get set up, so I saw a fuel stop, and I pulled over. But I don't know where I am. I'm like 50-some miles west of St. Louis was the last sign I remembered seeing. So I'm at an exit with a TA and a little Mr. Fuel. So, God, I forgot which direction I'm pointing. Must be pointing east. We actually, when I found out it was too late yesterday that you were coming across 70, I wanted you to stop at Turnaround Transport in Moberly, Missouri. We have a beautiful 379.99 Pete for sale. It's got the 2WS Cat, the 264 gears, super single tires. It's got a reworked ECM. It's got our manifold turbo damper balancer and it has our old power box on. oh nice this truck has absolutely everything our radiator our charge air cooler and jeff nelson has it for sale he recently bought it it's just not quite set up for hauling tankers the way he does it so got it selling the truck and the truck's beautiful got it that's turnaround transport in moberly missouri jeff nelson or you can talk to josh Schaefer, who's the lead mechanic there Josh is also one of the guys that works with Mike Lane and I on the owner-operator Lumaville Conference, which will be February 21st at the Grand, at the Gateway Inn in Grand Lake. Colorado. All right. Yes. Colorado. So two people guessed that I'm in Forestal, Missouri, so I'm going to go with that. I probably am. 
if you're heading past going west, you can probably look over and see me parked down here. Uh, so hit the horn if you see me on the way by. Uh, I think that's it. I'm going to bring in uh, Pete and Leroy. So good morning, guys. Morning, Kevin. Leroy. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Yes. I'm so, Leroy, I posted, you know, that I've got a new tune in the coach on this trip. I, I might have told a little white lie. I said I tuned it myself this time. And then I said, well, I connected the cable and turned on the laptop. That's got to count for something. I mean, most people say that they're tuning it themselves. So yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. So, I don't want the, your head to get too big, but I think you nailed it this time. <laughs> Okay. This is a really, really nice tune. Very drivable. Um, I max out right at about 50 pounds of boost, which on the last tune when it would max out at 60, I spent all day trying to keep it under 50. So now I don't have to do that. What's that? I said down from 75 pounds. That's good. Yeah, exactly. So 50 I'm, I'm comfortable with. Very responsive. Um, Bruce, you know what this reminds me of? My so, uh, no, remember when, uh, the A-cert first came out, the C-15, I drove a couple of them and I was complaining about them. I'm like, this is an awful engine to drive. There's no throttle response. The pedal feels mushy all the time. And you said you need to drive one with a power box, which I did. And it was a totally different truck. That's what happened with this. This tune in here, it it is like a totally different engine. It's really nice. Very responsive. Um, Trying to get accurate fuel mileage numbers for me is really tough because I've got three things that pull off that fuel tank. I've got the coach engine. I've got the big generator. And I've got a, a diesel-fired heater that runs my aqua hot system. I have unlimited hot water, and it heats the coach. And But it's really hard because some trips I won't use either one, the generator or the aqua hot much. Um, this trip, I used the generator almost all day yesterday. The aqua hot's been running a lot. but And I'm driving much faster than I normally do. Normally, I drive 60 and just take my time. I really wanted the extra time in Nashville to get ready, so I've been setting the cruise on 70 almost the whole way. Uh, The other day, I got a a tank in at 6.7 at 70 miles an hour. That that used to have been, would have been five and a half before. So I know the tune isn't the whole thing. We fixed several things. We, We finally got all the boost leaks fixed the last time I was out there. Um, there was something else. I think I got, oh, the muffler. We took that catalytic converter off. That really helped. But between those two things and the tune, I think I've picked up over a mile per gallon. That sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. Like, like I said, when we got rid of that split injection stuff, that makes the world a difference. It, like you said, it makes the engine more responsive. Instead of having uh, two injections, you have one in main injection. So It'll feel a lot more like a six NZ than a than an A search. Um, so that's good. 
it, it's sounding like it's doing what it's supposed to. Yeah, for a for a thirteen liter, I would be very happy to have this engine in a truck. Tuned so you're like getting six point seven at seventy. I imagine you'll be into the sevens if you slow down. At, you know, at sixty, I would think I'm going to be at seven and a half plus. This truck or this coach has never registered a tank above seven, ever. Yeah. Yeah. So. Can't really tell right didn't now. Didn't feel like we pulled too much power out. Not at all. In fact, it's in some ways it's like I have more because I had to go so easy on the throttle before, and I had to stare at the boost gauge, and it, I couldn't really shift to change the boost. The I don't I don't have enough gears. The only thing I could do is just keep letting off the throttle. So now it feels like I've actually mm-hmm. got more power because I'm not so gun shy on the on the fuel. Cool. Nice. Yeah. And so, my head's a little bit bigger. Yeah, so, so I'm I'm pretty happy with it. And I would highly recommend I we don't run across many C thirteens in trucks, but I would highly recommend if somebody has one, get this tune. It's worth it. Yeah, I know uh, do we wanna do we wanna call it the Kevin Rutherford tune or the KR tune? I don't know if I should take credit for it. JR did it. I'm just enjoying it, but we could. I'd be okay right. with that. The JRKR. It could be the JRKR tune. Did I say JR Leroy? You did. Yeah. Did I? Uh, you oh, Leroy con- did it. Yeah, you must have confused me with the initials. So I don't know why I would say JR. No, it was Leroy that did it. <laughs> yes, okay, so. Yeah. I, I know that Pat Anderson has a very similar tune with a little bit more power, and he really likes his. So we kind of did the the same sort of ideology on yours so i like who, it who was that that has it patrick anderson but he has a c15 oh okay we did the same thing with the split ejections and the timing and the fuel map and stuff and he really likes it so we uh we did the same thing with yours except i probably i didn't put very much power into it so i'm surprised you say that it, it feels about the same yeah so uh, um, the patrick anderson go ahead bruce He's building a big barbecue deck right now in the back of his home in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And so the way he put it on Facebook, I think we all have an open invitation to uh, barbecue at Patrick Anderson's and probably going to be cooked by his lovely wife, Heidi. Maybe I need to go home through Wyoming instead of Utah. That's right. That's right. Hmm. I'll be uh, I'll be going past there this Right at the beginning of the year, and uh, I'm going to stop to see if the barbecue deck is open. There you go. All right. Pete, Leroy, what do you guys have? So it's going to kind of follow up with what Bruce said about line obtrusion. We had sold a customer big cam cylinder kits. Said, hey, the block's never been cut. I need standard liners, one of 20,000 shims. So we sold them that. Then he calls back getting coolant in the oil right away instantly so get the heads off we haven't checked protrusion he has over twenty thousand protrusion because the original block wasn't cut for shims no one measured anything and his tech put it together i hate to call him a tech because obviously he's not a tech um parts changer and um he, he hasn't come out and blamed us but he's leaning like it's our fault that we sold him the wrong parts he sold him what he asked for. Whereas the tech didn't, you know, didn't see shims. He should have questioned it. And then more importantly, we should have mic'd everything. I mean, you mic stuff before, you mic stuff after. 
So, you know, we got that going right. on. And it's tough to, you know, you, you don't know what someone knows when they're trying to do the work themselves or having a shop to do it. You're, you're going to kind of assume they do, but surprisingly, a number of people don't know what they're doing and, and really shouldn't be doing this type of work. I you know, agree. Pete, and he probably said, he probably said I had this really good mechanic. Yeah. I stopped a guy yesterday on the phone. I said, don't tell me how good your mechanic is, because if he was that good, you and I wouldn't be on the phone right now talking about your problems. But everybody wants to say, I have this really good mechanic, you know, and I hear this every day. I have this really good mechanic, but I have problems. Well, then what's your mechanic say? <laughs> good point. Yeah. Huh? I think that lot no. They don't know. Now, I don't mind if you're a customer, even if you only use the catalyst, the max mileage catalyst, or you bought a damper and balancer from us or a manifold stuff. But if you didn't buy anything and now you're calling and you want me to take hours and explain it, that's that's not being fair. Right. And I've had I've had that last week too, so Yep. And that's where something as simple as a service manual or shop manual would make a big difference. Now, buy one ahead of time, read it, have an idea of what to look for. I mean, you don't know what you don't know, but if you would have read the manual, you'd see they want you to check liner protrusion and, yes. and check the counterboards and tell you how to check. You know, think, think about this. Pete and I, and Pete rebuilt a whole lot more big cams than I did, but I was there for it. But Pete and I walked through the shop and we see the IX and the X-15s and the DD-15s. We see our mechanics working on them, rebuilding them, changing front cover. But Pete and I haven't done it. I wouldn't even begin to try to do it. I'd have to study the manual and ask questions because there's so much to it anymore. Right. You agree, Pete? Oh, absolutely. It is, you know, it's getting to a point where a lot of the, with the newer trucks, people just should not be working on them. I mean, it really needs to go to the shop, especially with the electrical problems. You figure the experience we have and we run into issues like, okay, what's going on here? We haven't seen this before. There's just no way an owner operator is going to get a voltmeter and figure out what the problem is himself. Right. I mean, you're just at that point throwing parts at it. I mean, it just, there's too much going on. I agree. I, I'm even seeing that with, with new, I have a 2022 Bronco. Um, compared to what I've run before, like I have an 11, 2011 Ford Ranger, which is identical to my 99. I mean, nothing changed. Um, so they're easy to work on. But, you know, this new one, I don't plan on doing other than maybe rotating tires and changing oil in it. There you go. It's something that's going to go back to the shop. Yeah. Just not up on the new stuff. Yeah, I agree. You know, no doubt. Need new tools, different tools. Almost need a laptop, or not a laptop, but some sort of computer to plug in for stuff. Yeah, even to do brake jobs nowadays, oh. a computer to plug in to shut the emergency brake off. I found out I ruined an expensive battery because I didn't reset something in the ECM when I put a new battery in a car. And how are you going to know that? Yeah, how we, I I didn't know until I called and complained, and I said, "Why did this expensive battery only last seven months, and I need another battery?" And they said, "Well, who put the battery in it?" And I said, "I did." And they said, what did you do after you put the battery in? And I said, I started the car and drove it. And they said, well, those batteries have some kind of smart charging capability. And when you replace the battery, you've got to reset the ECM. And I'm like, well, yeah, I didn't know that. 
So do I really have to take Well, and I guess next time I'll put a new battery in it myself and at least save that labor, but I guess I'll have to drive to the dealer and have them reset it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. it's getting crazy. Yeah, things have changed quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, they have. No doubt. I have, uh, I have the coach with the refresh. I am really happy with it. Um, happy with the tune, happy with all the stuff we got upgraded and updated. And, but I still have one problem, and I've really kind of had this problem ever since I've owned the coach, the Aqua Hot system, which I love. It's that diesel-fired heater. It, it gives you heat in the coach with almost no power or no electricity, uses very little. It's unlimited hot water. I mean, it's on-demand hot water. I just love the system. But it has been really, really intermittent over the years. And it's always worse when a problem's intermittent on a coach because I might go eight months without using it. Then you go back and you got to try to remember what the issue was. And it's got all kinds of trips if the... Uh, voltage gets too low, it trips, and I got to reset that to get it to fire up again. If the coolant in it, it uses um, propylene glycol as a coolant. If the coolant gets too low, it trips a fault and I have to reset it. If the fuel tank, because it pulls from the same fuel tank as the engine, gets below a quarter of a tank, it won't pick up fuel anymore. And they do that I get it. So you're not parked somewhere and that thing runs you completely out of fuel. So the, the pickup for that is higher up in the tank. So there's a lot of weird little things that always reset it where I have to reset to get it working again. So it seems like I'm always doing that. I got it rebuilt completely once and I would still have these times where everything is right and the diesel-fired heater, I can hear it trying to fire. It makes this, like, turbine spinning noise. And then you hear it ignite, and you see the exhaust. And sometimes it just won't ignite. And I've got everything right. So finally, I spent, I had time yesterday, I spent some time on the phone with some of the techs down at the factory, and they said, one of the problems we've seen over the years is those fuel lines aren't very good quality, there's two lines, a, a feed and a return, and they'll start sucking air at times. And then it won't fire up, and it sounds like that's what yours is doing. And I said, oh, well, that's easy. I'll just replace the fuel lines. And they said, uh, plan on a good 8- or 10-hour day. So just to replace two fuel lines to this diesel-fired heater, they say, is an 8- to 10-hour job. Are you running the max mileage catalyst in there? I am. And it is now I have not okay. been through my first gallon yet. So I, I'm still I'm a I'm eighty okay. percent done with my first gallon, which is another reason why I think it's running so well. Um, I could see a difference. But this heater just every once in a while just does not want to fire. Because the catalyst the Max Mileage Catalyst with SPAR and Wabasco heaters does a wonderful job of keeping the firing chamber spotless. Maybe this that will help, but I, I'm, I'm really starting to believe they might be right about these fuel lines. So It sounds from what you're describing, like it's trying to fire up, that it has air in the system. That's, that's what it feels like. That's what it sounds like. And that's what they say is one of the common problems they've seen over the years.
So it's just that makes it, sense. You know, it, it's it's fairly easy to troubleshoot this stuff. The problem comes in is when you look at how much work it's going to take to fix it. It's just so hard to get to everything. Yeah, on this. yeah, well, what they claim is, I mean, my fuel tank is pretty far forward in the coach. It's really right behind the driver's seat, and it goes all the way across the big square tank, rectangle that goes all the way across the coach. And then that diesel-fired heater is right back almost at the tandems, and they run the fuel lines along the frame, so you got to empty out all the storage on the bottom, and you got to start taking off all those panels to get to that all of that access to run the new lines. So I think what I'll do, and they, they said this actually works, I think I'll use the same trick we use when we think we've got a, a fuel line problem. I'm just going to stick a short hose on there and stick it in a bucket of fuel. The problem is this is intermittent enough that... Yeah, it may not. What, I, what I'll have to do is try to catch it when it won't fire and then try a bucket of fuel and see if it works. All right. Good idea. Sh- should we get to some phone calls? Because we got a bunch of them. Like yeah, we yeah. are. We are sure. slammed. We're ready. Let, let's get started today. Let's go to Illinois. Bill, welcome. How you doing, y'all, this morning? Good. What can we help you with? Yeah, I just want to thank Pittsburgh Power for uh, taking good care of my, my uh, quote-unquote, my Tupperware truck that I had in the shop for a week. Well, I tell you, she runs like a champ, and um, I kind of tapped myself on the back because the Hawkeye report showed nothing, so that just tells me I'm doing good. But I got a question. I've noticed a little bit of an increase in fuel mileage since I had that overhead done, or is that... or is that even remotely possible? Because I'm trying to figure out why am I getting just a little bit better. Of course. That's that's why we uh, set overheads, Miss, because of fuel mileage. What engine do you have and what truck? And why would you call it a Tupperware truck? Because <laughs> <laughs> everybody, thinks, everybody, everybody thinks it's a Maverick truck, and that's the one I had with the X-15. It's the Cascadia. That I had up in the shop oh, okay. uh, on the ninth. I talked oh, to you that, for a couple hours. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. freaked me out. Yeah, but yeah. well, um, she runs like it. I, I love it. I mean, I spent a little bit of money more than what I wanted, but I'm I'm happy with the results. Good. Yeah, that was that one that we uh, we put that um, EGR differential pressure, and it was reading backwards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of weird. But I've come to find out it was the wrong part that the dealer gave me. But we fixed it, and I've been on the road and haven't looked back since. No issues, no nothing. Except for I had to replace the D- DPF filter. That kind of put a little damper in my budget. But that's, you know, that's, that's what you got to do to keep your trucks running. But other than that, I just wanted to say thank you, and I hope everybody comes to y'all because y'all do pretty good work. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for the call and feedback. Yeah, that was. Uh, oh, go ahead. I just wanted to tell a quick story about his because it was pretty interesting. He had that EGR differential pressure sensor he brought. And like we always say, we should replace those sensors every so often. So he had the sensor and Adam put the sensor on and they go to back it out of the shop and it throws this EGR code for basically low flow. And they're like, it didn't do that before when it came in. Now it does it. You know, the whole. We've seen this story a hundred times, right? It didn't do it before. Now it does it. So we start investigating and I clear the code, start the truck, 
and I can see the EGR valve start to open and it keeps opening and opens and opens and opens and it gets to like 75, 80% open at idle, which means this thing should be flowing a lot of EGR, right? But in fact, the differential pressure sensor was reading a vacuum. It wasn't reading a flow. It was like reading like the EGR valve was open, but flow was coming the opposite way and going back <laughs> into the EGR cooler. I was like, well, that doesn't seem right. <laughs> And that's probably why the EGR valve kept wanting to open because it's not seeing any forward flow. Yeah. You know? And I was like, I, I don't know, guys. I was like, whatever that sensor is, just put the old one back on. We put the old sensor back on and it worked perfect. I was like, okay, well, and then we, long story short, we found out that, yeah, they, he got the wrong EGR differential pressure sensor and that, uh, that threw the whole thing off right there. So <laughs> something to keep out mind make sure it's the right part i mean they look different too like when you held them side by side you knew that one was the wrong one okay you just gotta uh pay it gotta watch out for that kind of stuff there you go not all the same just because it says red and it's isec doesn't mean they're all the same got it all right let's go to pennsylvania wade welcome hey good morning gentlemen it's good to good to talk to you um Kevin, is there any chance we're going to see you down on Lower Broadway this weekend? Or uh, no? Well, I shouldn't say that. I I normally I've I've gone to a lot of events over the years, and I normally do not go out after hours. And it's usually because I'm I'm I have something I have to do at the event every day. I'm speaking every day at this event. Some days, multiple times, I think. And I just don't. Uh, I just don't want to go out and end up being out late and come back tired. And so normally not. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I was going to miss you. My wife and I were, we live about an hour Northeast of Harrisburg PA and we're going down this weekend for a concert. So after I get done work on Thursday, we're driving down and spending the weekend down there till Sunday morning. So got it. Got it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm getting in early, but I'm, I'm going and hiding somewhere. Um, and keeping a low profile so I can get some work done. Yeah. <clears throat> the reason I called, um, probably about a month ago or so, Ben called in a couple of times, Ben from Canada, Bruce, you know, Ben. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, the international. And at the time, I had called in the day of. I misheard his, his model number of truck that he had. I thought he said 9670, but he ended up having a 9370, which is conventional, much much nicer looking truck in my opinion um he was having he was wanting to find the oil i think it was oil pressure sensor and i had uh called in and anyway um i have a book for my 9670 cab over that shows you basically where everything electronic is so it's uh i think i got it on a website called binder books um it was pretty pricey for the book, but it, it, it's well worth the money. So it basically shows you all the where everything, like as far as a sensor would be or where like anything electronic would be. It, it shows you all the labeling for the wiring. So, you know, when you pull your wiring harness apart on the truck and you see a wire that says 87G, you can look in the book and see 87G is a, you know, speedometer sensor wire and you don't have to try and trace it or figure out what it is um that might help i looked on ebay currently i think there's a couple of these books on there that are 
like 150 or 160 dollars. I bought mine used, and mine was like 75 or 80 bucks, and it came with you know grease fingerprints on it. So they're not cheap. I don't know if they make these books anymore, but if if Ben is still looking to find that sensor, I know at the time he was having trouble finding it, and I told him that on my cab over, it's actually underneath the floorboard. So I don't know where they would put it. Mine has a B model cat in it like his does. So I don't, I don't know where they would put it. If they would put his on the motor somewhere, or if they would have hit his under the cab somewhere on that conventional or not. But I forgot to mention that book to, to him that day. I figured that would be pretty helpful for him. Well, he has a very good listener and he's probably listening to you right now. So yeah, if I had his phone number with me. I would give you his phone number, but I, I don't have it with me. Yeah. Yeah, I know uh, my my line, my oil line for that sensor comes off right above the starter. So he might, you know, I'm guessing different cab or different model of truck, even though it's international, they might not use that specific oil port on the motor. But mine was right above the, uh, the starter. It was like maybe an inch or two above the starter is where my oil line came off and it ran up along the frame rail up into the cab right underneath the floorboard and that's underneath the floorboard is where they had the sensor mounted so that might be a tip for him to find it too if he can just follow that oil line if it's if it's not mounted on the motor itself okay all right sounds good thanks for the heads up let's go to uh the northern border ryan welcome Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, Kevin, don't you know, during the wintertime, you want to do everything you can to avoid Wyoming and I-80. It just gets a cluster out there nowadays. <laughs> you on know, your route home. Yeah, so I got lucky coming through Wyoming this way. It was a beautiful, beautiful weather, just nice. And I, I had to turn on the uh, overhead air conditioners a couple times on this trip. That's why I was running the generator more. Um, so far, the weather has been fantastic until yesterday. The wind coming across Kansas in 70 is probably some of the worst I've ever driven in. I was exhausted by the end of the day yesterday. It was all I could do to stay in my lane all day. I just crossed into Ontario. Uh, my service gets bad. I wanted to report some uh, fuel mileage change for switching my rear ends. I have a 2019 Freightliner Cascadia. It's a mid-roof, and I pull a flatbed. It came this guys. And as soon as I found your guys' show again, I'm really glad you guys are back. Um, loaded, I do some pretty regular routes. And uh, on routes, and we boogie for our customer. We do the speed limit, you know. And uh, I would get 5.95 on a hard pull coming out of the west, fully loaded, 80,000 pounds. Um, 6.5. You, you, Canada, which I'm doing now. You were breaking up a little bit, so I, I want to kind of recap and see if I've got it right. You were at 5.95, and on the same run, basically everything else the same. After you switched to 2.64, you ended up where? Six something? Oh, boy. I think we might have lost him completely. He, uh, he did warn us he was heading into a bad area. Oh, yeah, the call just dropped completely. Uh We'll see if we can get him back in. Phone lines are really slammed, though. So let's go to Mississippi. Mark, welcome. Hey, uh, so I talked to Bruce on Saturday, and uh, I haven't talked to Pete since before the oil sample. So 
uh, Bruce decided that I should run about 10,000 miles and pull an oil sample and see if any coolant increases or if any changes or whatever and just watch it, check for condensation inside the uh, oil cap and then, you know, just watch the oil. So uh, I'm still getting around 107 miles per gallon on the uh, depth. So that really is, could come up a, about five miles per gallon, but there's still an issue with that. So does that sound like a plan to everybody involved? I mean, that's what Bruce said, so. Yeah, the, um, the oil filler cap is the easiest place to see if you have colon in the oil because it it ends up in the blow by and it uh, condenses on the oil filler cap and it looks like uh, brown snotty brown mucus basically is what it yeah. looks like. It doesn't appear to be using any coolant, but I get paranoid and it looks. I mean, I can I can imagine it using coolant if I look at it. So yeah, yeah. But it, it you know there's. There's a little fluctuation, but I mean, I, I don't think there's anything extraordinary. Uh, I mean, the fuel mileage for the vehicle is still 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 the same. Uh, just the def usage increased after all of this, after changing that ETR cooler. And I was talking to Paul, and he seems to think that the gas that comes out the EGR comes through there and maybe vaporized some of that coolant, took it back into the engine. Is that possible? I'm not sure. Anybody? So, so you said you had an EGR cooler changed, and yes, and and we ended up with some some uh, some potassium and some sodium in in the uh, in the oil. And the oil's been changed because we replaced the oil the oil pan gasket, which needed to be replaced. So the oils the oil was changed last Wednesday. And why did uh, you have? But there was some. Excuse me. Why did you have the the cooler changed? Well, I was using over a gallon of coolant every uh, 1, 1,200 miles, and then the guy I took it to, he took off one of the sides of it and uh, the pipes and went to the EGR system and all had, you know, coolant in them. And did you clean and replace the Venturi and the sensors and things? No. I didn't even, I mean. Yeah, because, I mean, when you get, well, when you mix soot and coolant together, you get, um, you know, this slimy sort of gross mess that, sort of plugs up all those uh, the sensor ports and stuff like that. So, yeah, anytime that we see one, we clean all that kind of stuff off. If it's still getting, I mean, because it's sort of the same thing if the EGR cooler is bad, that makes the NOx uh, go up. So then the, the, the SCR has to compensate for that. So then your def mileage goes down. But if you're still getting an erroneous reading because the sensors are still reading off, you could basically be having the same issue as a bad EGR cooler where the there's that snotty coolant in there. Oh, well, messing with the yeah. different pressure sensors and stuff. So what? The, what's the fix? To, so, so I, I still need to come in around the thirteenth and get all that cleaned out. I mean, that's that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Uh, I think coolant in the oil to me is might be a separate issue. Like Paul was talking about with um, the, the the vaporization and things like that. I don't think so because uh, coolant's not going to vaporize or like sort of try to boil off until well, like 200 plus. So, so why would this, uh, why would, uh, so you're saying that's not, it's just a coincidence. Um, I'm not, I'm not positive, but I mean, for, in order for, if you even had coolant, an EGR cooler bad and it goes to the EGR and it goes to the engine, then you're getting it 
through like the injector, not through the injector, through the intake piping and then appointment okay. on the 13th, which is a Monday and getting back from all this, the trips I got to take personally or whatever. That's just, I mean, I could probably get there on the 13th, but the, the fourth. Yeah. I mean, even the last one we had with this low death mileage complaint, we were able to verify on, on the there. dyno. That it, we were able to verify on the dyno that it was back to being correct. Um, I ran it for a certain period of time, saw what the def usage was and what the fuel usage was, calculated the percentage of it, and I was able to verify after the fix that the def mileage was back where it was supposed to. So we should be able, if you get it in, we should be able to verify before we send you out the door that it's going to be fixed or not. Can anybody hear me? Okay. I can, Kevin. Okay. Yes. We got right. you back. All right. I can. So, Mark, so you want me to change the 13th to the 14th? I can do that now while you're on the phone. Yeah, 14th, please. Okay, we can do that. Because I get back, I get back uh, Wednesday night after going to Nashville and California. I get back on a Wednesday night, and I get a load out, and I can get something up there and deliver in the area on Monday and get there for the 14th. So Okay. And they did the 13th, and I'm just like, okay, yes. And then I start thinking about, like, that's going to be really difficult. To, to 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 get a load delivered up there. I mean, I'm not saying it's not possible, but you know, it's just that one that 24 hour cushion makes all the difference in the world. Okay. Yeah, I bumped you over a day, so you're taken care of. Okay. All right. Well, then, so I don't need to call everybody. So we'll just no. see you all on the 14th. All yes, right. sir. All right. Good stuff. We're gonna move along. We got to get to the calls. They're piling up on us. Uh, I think we've got Ryan back. Ryan. Hey, apologies about that. Switched over to Canadian cell phone towers. <laughs> but uh, two things. I wanted to report fuel mileage with my rear end change, and I had a question about a tune-in boost for the Pittsburgh Power Guys. So sure. um, with my rears, I have a mid-roof Freightliner Cascadia pulling a flatbed. It's a 2019 DD15, a 10-speed uh, overdrive, and, uh, you know, double overdrive. I, from 355s to 264s, I now spend most of my time in ninth or direct gear. Um, I pull heavy out of the Dalles, Oregon, going uh, east. And on that first 600 miles, I would get 5.94. And now I'm seeing uh, anywhere between 6.3 to 6.5. Um, and then on my regular run between Missouri to Canada, it's the same type of increase. I went from 6.3 to 6.7. Even if I slow down from 70 miles an hour a little bit to 65, um, I, I've pushed 7.1 fully loaded as these 264s now. So a, a huge increase. Um, now when I'm empty, I only saw two tenths increase from 7.7 to 7.9. So it was definitely worth the switch. It'll pay for itself on ROI within about oh, eight months to a year. And, um, yeah, really happy. I was, I was glad I tuned back in, found your show and Bruce mentioned it, the show I made the switch right away. That's a, that's an interesting gain. I I would not have predicted that much going from three fifty fives to two sixty fours. Your RPMs didn't change all that much at your top speed. Did they? No. Um, it's funny. And, uh, I stay now in direct at 70 miles an hour at 1560. Um, whereas with my overdrive, uh, with the three fifty fives, I would have been right there at 15 to 1600 as well. Yeah. It shouldn't have changed much because that those two gear ratios with the, with the different gear in the transmission come out almost the same. So it's interesting. You picked up so much because it, it, I mean, there's hills, yeah. Huh. There's hills that I roll into that I won't, I'll leave it in ninth and I won't downshift up, up the hill anymore. 
whereas I used to drop a gear before. So it's just that direct power running through really made a huge difference. Interesting. All right. Now, backing up with the spread axle, uh, last night I was backing up, and she does want to jump a little bit when she's fully loaded, so you really got to feather that clutch. But Yeah, I'll bet. All right. I had a Where's guy the on forward? the phone. I had a guy on the phone last week that wants to go. He's, he doesn't listen to the show. He doesn't know anybody, anything about the shows or read the articles. And he wants to go from a 355 to a 321. Oh. And oh, I spent an hour. Oh. Explain, <laughs> yeah, I, I explained everything, explained everything. And at the end, I still think he's going to the 321. So. That's awful yeah. to spend all that money. Happens. He might be making things worse. Yeah. That's right. And, and I told him about the app and I said, get on there and listen to the past shows, and read the past articles. But I don't think he did. Wow. Wow. I don't Spicer know. has a great website for all these ratios. And I would have been comfortable with anything between 264s and 308s. But as soon as I heard Bruce say, yeah, go from three, you know, do the, the 90 drop, 355 to 264s. Yep. Right. As soon as I did that, I was like, yes. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Good. Hey, question, question about tune and boost. Um, with the DD15, it's the non VGT turbo. That's Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Um, what type of, if I came in for a, a, a real hefty, cause we're either fully loaded or empty, you know, running between pickups. Um, what type of boost would I expect top boost on a real good power tune from you guys for this DD 15? Uh, top going to range probably from 35 to 38. Okay. Yeah. That, that's got me beat from what I got now. I've got, you know, the St. George, Utah tuner on here, um, from PDI and, uh, I, I can push 38, uh, and it, it does healthy. Uh, there's a couple little things I've got questions about that I haven't been able to figure out with it as far as, um, sometimes I'll be under full acceleration at about 1700 picking up speed to pass a truck. And it'll want to like, it's, it almost sounds like it's chafing for fuel, whether it's the turbo or, or the injectors are almost not getting enough fuel. Uh, so I'm just not sure what's going on there. I'd probably have to be hooked up and watch and monitor something when that's occurring. Yeah. But, um, all right. I, I'll be in uh, when I get the free time. I got a vacation coming up, but when I get some free time to sneak out, you guys, I always pick up out in Medina, taking some shingles back out west. So uh, when I can sneak over with some extra time, I'll try and plan something with you guys. All right. Sounds good. That sounds good. Anyways. Uh, thanks for the call. We're going to head off to Indiana. Stephen, welcome. Hey guys, hey, I called in last week with the $10,000 clutch bill and uh, you guys were wondering about the invoice and I, I got the invoice for that clutch uh, job plus I got an estimate from a Freightliner dealer what mine will cost. Uh, but another, I had another question. I was wondering if you guys would have any opinion on with coolant usage with the DD15. I've owned this truck since, since new and I've battled it from the beginning with coolant usage, um, I bet I've put in over 10 gallons of coolant, of just mysterious coolant. Uh, I have no idea why it needed it. And the only thing I can figure out on when it doesn't use coolant is on the, on the uh, expansion tank, you've got the low line and the high line. If I keep it in between those lines, I'll use coolant. If I keep it maxed out all the way to the top where you can't fit another drop in it, I'll never use coolant. Does that make any sense? No. <laughs> no. 
Not that I can think of. And I've seen where uh, if guys top it off, it'll push the colon, and then once it gets to a level a little it, bit lower, it quits. It stops, that. right. You're, yeah. And if I keep it in between the lines, I will definitely use it. And I've got 950,000 so, miles, so I have plenty of time on So let on me ask, through it. Let me ask you this. If you, if you let it, if you have it between the lines and it starts using coolant, does it ever stop? No, no. I will. It will lead me to having to put some in. It it varies. I've left Orlando, Florida. By the time I got to Tallahassee, I left full. I got to Tallahassee. I was below the low line. Most of the time, it it, it uses it much slower than that. But if it once it starts using it, it will use it until I top it off again. And you have no idea where it's and going. And I've had a. Nope, and I've got a. I've put a Pepsi bottle. That's the best usage for a Pepsi bottle nowadays. Is I've got it, uh, my overflow tube sitting in that Pepsi bottle, and I've had it there for over two hundred thousand miles, and not one drop has ever come out the overflow tube. Do you do oil analysis? Yeah. Yeah. Anything showing up there? Never until this last sample, and I just talked to Eric this morning because my uh, potassium and sodium usually stays around like three or eight, something like that, and now I'm in, in the 20s. But that's just been within the past 30,000 miles. The previous 900,000 miles, my cool's always been fine. Have you been driving in any bad weather yet where they're salting roads? Nope. Okay. Nope, all dry. So that that is a really, really small bump in coolant, but it starts to make me wonder. And I know I've got uh, a different problem. My crankcase breather, I've got a ton of oil coming out of there. And in March, I replaced the crankcase breather myself uh, because it was really bad and it was through a code. But now it's leaking again, so I've got to get it in the shop to figure that out as well. Are you using any oil between oil changes? Well, right now I am because it's, it's a lot of it's underneath my truck. <laughs> so uh, prior to the oil leak on the crankcase, no. At 900,000, I still wasn't using any oil. Um, but I lost, I lost the um, suction manifold in the oil pan back around April, and I lost all the oil pressure. And so around, I don't remember the miles. Uh, summers around 800 something thousand miles. I had uh, new bearings put in again then, um, and everything looked fine, but I wasn't using any oil. And how much are you using now? Uh, right now, 40,000 miles. I had to put in a gallon and a half on a 40,000 mile. Uh, Nothing to speak of then. And that's including, because that was with the. Uh, the big uh, OPS filter change that usually takes a half a gallon anyways by the time you change that around. So maybe a gallon and 40,000 40, miles. That's nothing to speak of. That sounds like the engine is still in good shape. You're going to find where that coolant's going. Yeah, so fair deal. I'll look into that. So I've got the, um, the invoice for that $10,000 clutch. So he's got a 16-liter DD15. So his is a dual-disc clutch. And the clutch was three thousand dollars, and he also had an actuator for about nineteen hundred dollars, and the labor on all that. So the part was fifty-five hundred. The labor was thirty-five hundred plus the miscellaneous stuff. That's why his bill was ten thousand. 
Freightliner quoted one from my DD-15 with, I guess, this clutch uh, for $100 without the actuator. On that $10,000, what sounded really bad, but I guess he had an actuator there as well and a dual disc clutch. Yeah, that adds up. Yeah. Yep. So that's it. All right. Thanks for the call. Hey, um, we've got some more calls. When I was driving across uh, Kansas, I think I saw some in Kansas yesterday and today in Missouri. I was looking at fields, and there's still stuff growing in the fields that looks like it hasn't been harvested yet. And I couldn't figure out what it was. The bottom of the plant looked like it was kind of light brown and dying, and then there was a darker brown kind of fluffy-looking top. And, and I'm I was looking at these fields, and I'm like, what is that stuff? I don't ever remember seeing that before. And now I'm scrolling through Twitter. I was answering some questions. And I came across uh, a picture, and it looks exactly like that. And it says it's Milo. It's a sourgum grain, and they even talk about how their father used to farm it all the time. They've never farmed it, and it's their first time. And then they give a bunch of reasons, water and some other stuff. But uh, I wonder if we could hear from the ag people. Is this a thing? Is, is, are, are we growing Milo now all of a sudden, and we weren't? seems kind of odd that I saw all that, didn't know what it was, and then I see a picture of it on social media. Anybody know anything? Well, I don't know anything about it. Huh. Somebody will probably answer us. We've got a lot of ag people on here, so we'll uh, we'll just keep taking the calls. Let's go to Texas. Bob, welcome. How you doing today? Good. What's on your mind? You are in... You are in O'Fallon, Missouri. Been there a million times. It is O'Fallon, not Forestal. Well, it's right there on on Forestal, O'Fallon, kind of right same general area. Got it. Okay. But if you get if you got fuel, it would that would probably say Forestal on the paperwork. But I think when you're at the scale, which is about a half a mile away, they consider that O'Fallon. Got it. Okay. One of our because I, I, I know you still live in O'Fallon. I know Peter. Yeah, I know Peterbilt right down the road, like three exits away, is O'Fallon. Got it. PLG right. Peterbilt. Uh, I'm in that and area. And I kind of got a. Yeah, and just an FYI, when you're going towards Nashville, I always take 64 east to 57 to 24. Okay. Rather than going through 70, it's a little less less hectic, believe it or not. I may check that out. I like less hectic. Yeah, it's a lot less hectic. The only screw-up you got is, like, downtown by the baseball stadium and the Budweiser and all that down there. But that's about the only screw-up there usually is. And you cross the river and you're back in Illinois. All right. I'll check that out. And I got... Yeah, I got one other thing. If I was kind of wondering about what my truck might be tuned at when I'm on a long, hard pull. It's an Acer Cat BXS, like 49 pounds of boost. I was wondering if, like a ballpark figure, if somebody might have an idea what it's set at and then what they are, what they get for a, you know, remote tune to change it. To what horsepower is it supposed to be? 550? 
I think it's the guy I bought the truck from. He told me it was a set of 500, so I don't really know, honestly. Yeah. And it's 18-speed, 336 rears. Okay. The tune is $1,450 for that. Is it? Okay. Yeah. And uh, you'd be very happy. Uh, JR, that does the, most of the tunes on the A-certs, he's quite the A-cert guy. All right. So you, you think it's probably set around 500 550 somewhere in there? Yeah. The, uh, Rub, the 475s were at 38, and the 550s, I think, were around 52. Yeah, I know. This thing will get up around 50, but 49.50 seems about as high as it climbs, and the pyrometer is right about 900 on a hard pull. Where's the thermocouple? It's in the elbow. It's not in the... Uh, not in the manifold? In, no, not in the manifold, nope. Okay. Well, that sounds about right. Yeah, I just... What worries me is the person that did the tune and y'all are talking about the timing. And that that's the only thing that really worries me about is what the hell the timing is set at, you know? Yeah, I agree. That's something to be concerned about. All right, at least I have an idea. And then after I get some tires, I'll get somewhere and get a tune done. All right. You know how to find our dealer list on the website? Yeah, you guys send me emails all the time. I'm already on your email list because I bought some stuff from you. We're not sending We're not sending too many, are we? No, no, no. I like reading articles, too. I just started getting articles. I like reading them when I'm parked doing my 34. All right. I, I stay out here two to three months, then I go home. Who, who I cuts do, your grass? Who appreciate that it? other stuff? Hey, whenever got you're a, out there, got home, a, who takes... I got a good son-in-law for that. Oh, okay, that's good. Okay. Yep. But I do appreciate the info and the articles and all that, and, you know, I listen every week. Love we the show. That. Perfect. Thank all you. Right. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Ohio. Joe, welcome. So, a few weeks back, I called into the district power order. They have my uh, full jump manifold on the shelf. So I get that, I get it installed, drive on it for about a week, and I notice a little bit of variable, not much. But I call Leroy, and I ask him if he can retune my truck because of the manifold. You know how they say you can't put a number on happiness? They're lying to you. 700 is great. <laughs> there you go. But now, to the, the root of my call is... Uh, we tuned uh, an N14 for a fellow um, Friday, and he told me he had an underlying issue. I spent a good 45 minutes explaining to him that if it's not an ECU-related EC issue, we can't we can't fix it. So um, what he's what he is plays bobtail and he accelerates. He gets a little bit of a hiccup. It rolls a bunch of black smoke and it takes off like a bandit. He lost the horsepower and stuff. But now um, I was like, okay, take the pedal off, get your own meter out, read the resistance to the pedal, find another pedal, use pedal, new pedal. 
and try to get their resistance on that. They read the same for the pedal that he had in the truck as their test subject. He still goes out and buys a $600 pedal thinking that something's going to change. He replaces it and still has the same problem. And I don't know where to tell him where to go, but it only doesn't lose Montail. And if he's fully loaded, he has just got a really nice running truck. Any ideas? Yeah, so I think you were you and JR were working on this one together, right? Correct. Yeah. So it, this is the N14 with that 876, correct? Yes. Yeah, because I'm kind of just piecing the, this story together because I heard a little bit from JR, but not a lot. But yeah, basically you're saying it rolls a bunch of black smoke when bobtailing, but not when he's actually loaded. And he has a hiccup in the throttle. He'll be throttling up to take off. It'll like hiccup or you know stumble, and then it'll take off like crazy and roll a bunch of black smoke. But um, it only doesn't leave spot tail when he's loaded. The truck is right as rain. And I'm assuming we, Jaron, you guys have looked over all the sensors. Everything is has a correct reading and everything like that. I'm hoping so because I mean the the tech is young. I, he's smart, but I don't know how smart. Right. And have you had it on a computer and been able to do it at the same time or no? I could not get it to reenact. Yeah. That's, that's just a tough one. If you can't get it to reenact, it's hard to point you in a certain direction. Um, but I guess the, the good thing is if it doesn't do it, you should be able to see what the normal reading is. So when it does act up, you just look for what's different. Um, and then that's going to point you right to what the problem is. But, uh Right off the top of my head, I don't have anything off of any any ideas about sitting down with it, watching it, getting it to do it. So if I get a hold of him this weekend and I go back down to work with him a little bit, what parameters do I need to be staring at if it does screw up? Um, to see a shift in black smoke like that, um, you're going to want to obviously look at like things like uh, boost pressure intake air temperature uh, or intake manifold temperature, I should say. Uh, if it has an ambient, any sort of ambient pressure sensor or ambient temperature, those are good ones because that's going to shift the computer's calculated density. Uh, that would do that. It has a fixed-phase turbo, so there's nothing on that side. Um, pretty much those couple things, any sort of ambient temperature pressure or any sort of intake manifold pressure in temperature. Um, there can be some slight changes with other temperature sensors like uh, chill temp if it's got one, um, coolant temp, but I, you would see that on the dash. Um, pretty much fuel temp, intake air temp, and coolant temp the only thing that's going to swing the timing. So I guess to summarize, uh, boost pressure, manifold temperature, ambient temperature, ambient pressure. Those are the, probably the four big things that I would be watching. I have a simple thought. I have a simple thought. Go for it. When he's when he's bobtailing, is he easing into the pedal, or is he just gouging on the pedal? He said because when he's loaded, when he's loaded, he's probably feathering into the throttle, and then maybe when he's bobtailing, he's just gouging at it because he's anxious to get going, and that's what's rolling the black smoke. Because uh, I mean, we did a pretty aggressive tune on it, but um, let me let me let me uh, put some more information in his ear. He said he was going to call me uh, tomorrow morning, and we'll discuss it some more. And then I'll see what he has 
for available gauges on his truck versus me having to come and uh, plug in and ride with him. Right. Tell you what else you can do. Pull the compressor housing off the turbo and the volute section, the curved part that pits up against the compressor wheel, wash it and sand it and hit it with aluminum polish and make it look like a shiny front wheel. And also clean the compressor wheel with some brake clean and a soft brush. And that'll bring the boost on quicker and give them an extra three pounds. And because you got to get to eight pounds to clear up black smoke. And that'll help them to get to eight pounds faster. Oh, I'm glad you said that. I never even bothered to ask where he was at on the boost when, when he has that hiccup. So, I mean, if we're trying to cut this down to the simplest theory, could he be under the boost, yeah. under the turbo? But, you know, years ago, the rule was you're supposed to pull the compressor housing off every 30,000 miles and clean it. But we never talk about that because nobody's going to do that. And the only one that does it is Mike Lane out of Ogden, Utah. Well, this guy just spent a fortune on a brand-new motor. It's only got 150,000 miles. Maybe he would be so inclined to try to save himself some downtime. Yeah, yeah, just doesn't take much. You only need a 3H drive, 716 deep well socket. And if the housing doesn't want to come off easily, just heat it up a little bit with a burns matic torch and have one of those plastic mallets and tap it off and, and clean it and put it back on. I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something tomorrow about that. Saying, you know, I mean, I'm glad you remember this stuff because, I mean, these are things I learned in years past, but you don't see it every day. You don't function it every day. You kind of forget about it. That's exactly right. Because, I mean, if he's under the boost, like like said, so maybe he's taken off in third, fourth, fifth, and he's under the boost, and he gets on the throttle, and it hiccups, the turbo picks up, the truck takes off, and you know, it, might, it might be his foot. That's right. It could be in the right foot. All right, well, fellas, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Let me let me get off here. Let me call him and see if he's awake. Uh, real quick, Joe, how's your truck doing? Dude, when I said 700 buys happiness, 700 buys happiness. <laughs> and, uh, I, I'm rolling across 70 westbound now, those rolling hills between Cambridge and Columbus. I'm pulling a grade now at like 13 pounds of boost, 700 on the, on the um, EGR. The truck doesn't work. It just... It's, I mean, I just I feel like I'm in a car just pulling around. Um, I would just and what, and what engine do you have? What engine? Six yeah. series. Yeah, see, I've got make, everything you own except for the trap. I got I'm going to order that after the show because if she's starting to swallow a little bit. Yeah. When everything's right, it's a it's a high to drive it. It's a natural high, and that's the way a truck should run. Well, the first time we tuned it, we stopped at 600 because I still had the stock manifold. It was uh, during COVID, full tilt wasn't making the S style for the Volvos very often. So I called in for parts a couple of weeks ago. There was one on the shelf. I was like, well, send it to me. Took it home. I got it sent home. I, I bolted it on, drove it at 600 for a week. And then I remember Leroy saying that um, we can twist it up more once you get the manifold. So I took him up on it, and I, it, it's enjoyable. And it has a really, really ornery clackle, about 1,900 RPM coming out of the exhaust because I go from a 5 to 7 on straight plates. She's, so, she's fun to drive again. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're pulling those rolling hills loaded at 13 pound of boost. So isn't it amazing a lot of times when you have a lot of top power, you don't need it on the bottom side. But if you don't have power, 
then your foot's always into it, and you're using more boost. So a high-horsepower engine, that's why we always say a high-horsepower engine, properly tuned, properly driven and maintained, will outlive a stock engine. It will do better in fuel mileage, and it certainly makes the driver happy. Well, this here is something that I I didn't bring up because I don't know if I'm misleading it or not, but I scale in every morning, and I get loaded. I go down to West Virginia. I scale in. I get unloaded. So I fill up on Monday morning. On Monday afternoon, when I'm scaling off empty, I am 36,660 pounds. When I scale off Tuesday, I'm 36,380 pounds. Today is my first time, the first week at the new tune. I was at 36,420. I have I have 40 more pounds of weight on me, so I'm at and the truck never changes, so I'm assuming that's fuel. Because the truck's not yeah. working as hard, I'm not using as much fuel. I mean, I run the that's same right. 262 miles every day. The only thing that changes is weather and traffic. Yeah. So, I mean, if I'm saving 40 pounds, and if I gain 40 pounds of weight, that means I save 40 pounds of fuel. How much is a gallon of fuel? Uh, I remember jet fuel, <laughs> jet A is like <laughs> seven-some pounds a gallon. <laughs> Does that sound right? So um, break that over um, it's a little over 530 miles. I mean, what do you think that would equate to on if you wanted to break it down to fine numbers, a tenth, tenth and a half? I, I don't know. I've never worked it that way. Uh, but, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll fill up tomorrow morning, and I'll have my first official fill up with the new tune and the, the new manifold. Looks and like- I, and I've done everything. I mean, if there's if Bitford Power offered it for Detroit, I've got it. I'm just like I said, I'm going to order some more oil samples, and I'm going to order the slobber tank today. Looks like I was right on. Diesel fuel weighs approximately seven point one to seven point three pounds. I got it. So I've saved four gallons over two days. It might not even be measurable, but we know we saved four gallons. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a lot. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking. What's your total boost? On a hard pull, have you have you seen a total boost? What are you making for boost? I haven't even tried. Don't need it. You don't. You don't have to, huh? Um, that mile marker sixteen thousand seventy seven is the biggest pull, um, and I was at sixty four miles an hour at I think thirty two pounds of boost, and I was tiptoeing around that twelve seventy five, twelve eighty on the pyro. Yeah. Real quick story. Years and years ago, when we were building the high horsepower Big Cam Cummins, we didn't have cell phones. So, you know, I always have to wait a day or two before somebody called you back. And one guy with a Big Cam, and I know we took him up about 150 horsepower. He called. He was out on the other side of Columbus, Ohio. And he said, you know those hills between uh, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Eastern Ohio? I, I said, yeah. He said, well, they're not there anymore. yeah when i bought when i bought this truck it was 300 horse we took it to 600 immediately so i never had any really hills to begin with but 700 makes it a whole new monster yeah that's a wonderful number yeah what's the torque setting roughly at that at that number Mm, yeah probably around 21 22 yeah i like it It, it, it's enjoyable (laughs) Not, not bad. bad for a little engine, huh? 
There we go. All right. We got to get through some calls. Let's go to Wisconsin. Jeff, welcome. Hey, fellas. Thanks for taking my call this morning. I have a question about looking at a Volvo truck, and uh, it's a 2021. It's got 247 rears, and it's got the overdrive in it, and it has a reman engine in it. Ooh, stop, stop, stop. Is this okay. uh, VGT or TC? It's, uh, I guess I can't tell you that. It's a so, 2021. So why, my first question, before I want to yeah, know I anything know else, why did it have an engine replaced? <clears throat> it said it was a major engine failure, and then, there's uh, there's less than a thousand miles on the on this one that they put in there. The how many how many miles are on the truck? Six hundred thousand. Six hundred thousand. We put a remand in. How much do they yeah. want for it? Well, they were asking seventy two, and they just dropped it down to sixty four. Sounds really high to <laughs> me with today's prices. But this, let me ask you this: If you look for other twenty ones with about six hundred thousand miles, what are they selling for? About sixty four thousand. There's there's several of them that are sixty four thousand. They're they're anywhere from sixty to eighty thousand for those five to six hundred so, some thousand trucks. So I, I'm they're, not. They're coming down. They're going to keep coming down. This one sounds overpriced to me, and I want a better explanation of what happened. Saying a major engine failure tells me nothing. Did we put a rod through the block? Did we crack a... What happened so we we have some idea of why things went so wrong? So when they put a Rayman in there, is that just a... Completely different engine, right? Correct. correct. So I'm assuming that the engine so went why? so far south that it was not rebuildable. Right, right. But I, I, I. So what? I just worry. I mean, was this total neglect? Was it, you know, the drivers just hammered it and nobody ever worked on it or maintained it? Or because if that's the case, the rest of the truck's going to be a problem. Well, yeah, I haven't had my hands on it. I haven't taken a look at it yet, so it's just... I I don't... For me, before I would ever take a look at it, I want somebody to tell me what broke on the first engine. Now, don't just tell me major engine failure. Tell me what happened. Otherwise, I wouldn't even consider this truck. If somebody can't answer that question, I would just move on. You could be buying yourself a major headache, and you're not getting it at any significant discount. Right. Have you run a rig okay. dig on it yet? Yeah, no, I didn't. I have. Right. I was going to talk to you before. Run, I run, run a rig. rig. You know, I'll spend thirty or forty or whatever a rig dig costs these days. I'll spend that to see if I can find some information about this truck. But I, I would be. Right. Do we know what where it came from? Who owned it before? It's a FedEx truck. FedEx corporate like fedex owned the truck or a fedex independent contractor that owned the truck that i couldn't tell you is it a sleeper i'm assuming it is yes 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 fedex corporate doesn't own many sleepers that i can if any trying to think Mm -hmm. if any of the fedex divisions that use company equipment i think they're all day cabs 
trying to think of any. Okay. So if if that's the case, if they're saying it was at FedEx, it was probably an independent contractor, which doesn't tell us anything other than it could have been some, you know, somebody who bought the truck and just ran it, ran it, ran it hard and didn't take care of it. It is it's odd for right. engine failures to occur. It's not that common. Right. So if you had you had two trucks sitting there side by side and they each had 600,000 on them. I mean, they're both looked one looked like the other one. Which one would you rather have, the one of three man or the one of the engine that's got 600,000? Have you not listened to anything I said? There's one giant question that I need to have answered before I can answer that question. What happened to the engine? Okay. Because the one with 600,000 might have been taken care of well. Where this truck, if it was lack of maintenance or abuse. Or both. That's why the engine got could be just a failure. I mean, sometimes parts just fell and there's nothing a driver did wrong or maintenance was neglected. It just fell. You kind of need to figure that out. Did they put a rod to the side? Did they spin a bearing? Did you knock the oil pan off by hitting something on the road and spun a bearing? Well, if that's the case, it's really not a deuce. That was an accident. Right. That, so that... you'd be less, you know, hey, that's shit happens, um, you know, you can't control stuff on a road. And why are they selling it after they just put an engine in it? See, that there's too many questions here. Here's something else to think about. Yeah, I... Let, let's think about this. When, when you buy these new trucks today, the, the DD platform, the Volvo platform, we are seeing these trucks get to 1.3, 1.4 and more, and they're still not using oil. If that's the case, your new engine isn't all that valuable to me. So they they said that uh, this they traded some of these in, several of these trucks in, and this truck was on the way back from out west or whatever, and it broke down in uh, New Mexico, and so a, a Volvo dealer dealer put the reman in there. Wait, then, wait, wait, I let's mean, go back. Let, let's go back a second because there was a clue there. This came from a large lot of trucks. There, this comp- the, the FedEx had several of these that they traded in. And See, from again, what I gather, this truck was on them. That doesn't tell us if it's a contract or not. I, I know contractors over there big enough, they trade in 10 trucks at a time. So it could have still been a contract. I would just move on. There's too many trucks for sale. There's too many good deals. If somebody could tell me the real story and we could verify it, and like Pete said, if it's something that was more of an accident, I might consider this one. But if we can't get an answer, I'm not taking a chance. Okay. Well, I'm probably just going to wait anyways because I've been watching. I don't have to buy a truck right now, so I've been watching. Wait. These uh, prices are still coming down and stuff, so I think they're going to get a lot cheaper. It seems like an awful lot of money for a truck that's got 600,000 miles on it. Well, that's why I said this is no bargain. Right. This was just a screaming deal. I might be interested, but this this is almost overpriced in my opinion. I mean, it's pretty obvious they're overpriced because I've been looking for a, a month now, and all these trucks are still 
sitting there and they're dropping prices so they have to they got they've got to move stuff and freight fell off the cliff the economy's in trouble right um there's too much bad news people are going to be very very cautious about buying equipment so there, there's going to be deals i wouldn't take a chance on a truck like this yeah all right sounds good well all thanks right. for taking my call you're welcome let's go to seven yeah seven yes bruce Okay, Dr. Jane Gates sent me a text. She said, Milo, her dad used to grow Milo for chicken feed, and they had their own mill. And tropical bird owners like it for their pet birds. So, so it, it, you, it, you wanted to know what Milo was? Yeah, so I, I'm wondering, it just seemed odd that I noticed it this time in the field. I don't ever remember seeing it before, and I passed several fields of it, and I couldn't figure out what it was. And I was actually going to try to describe it on the air and ask somebody, and then I come across a Facebook post, and I see a picture of this stuff, and I'm like... I'm pretty sure that's what I keep seeing in the fields. But even that article said it's something that they haven't grown in a long time, and now they're going back to growing it. Just seems odd. It's chicken feed. Bird seed has it in there. If you buy bird seed to feed, you know, your, your local birds, yeah. the cheaper the food or Milo's in there, because a lot of birds don't You'll see that mess at the bottom of the bird feeder. It's just all Milo because not all birds will eat it. It's ah. like, oh, it's wintertime. Eat, so I'll eat it as a last resort. But they'll pick for the good stuff first. Huh. So I wonder why it's it coming well. back. If you can handle hot, dry climates. Yeah, and that's the drops have been half. I go plant that. That was one of the things that it said is it takes a lot less water. But I, but it, my thought was, okay, so you have a crop that grows up, takes a lot less water. Are you able to sell it anywhere? Can you make any money growing this stuff? Where's it going? It's huh. hard to say. Yeah, maybe somebody will help us out with that one. Let's go to Tennessee. Paul, welcome. Howdy. Um, I I can't I called to brag about the good mechanics that I have because that would be Pittsburgh Power. So, um, I was Thank up you. there a couple of weeks ago. I was up there a couple of weeks ago. Well, one thing they worked on, a coolant leak. Um, when I left, it was actually leaking worse than when I went in. So I called Eric and talked to him, and he said. I can find somewhere on the road for you to get it fixed. And I said, I can buy coolant and put it in there and bring it back to you and you can fix it. He said, we can do that if you want to do that. So he said, let me know when you're going to come back. And I said, well, if all goes well, I'll get up there this week. So I worked it out. Uh, got a left home Friday, loaded Saturday, delivered Sunday, pulled in the driveway midnight, Sunday night. First thing Monday morning, pulled it in the bay, fixed it, and it was all done by lunchtime yesterday. All fixed. So, what was the, where was the leak? Uh, the lines that run down the inside of the frame rail go back to the bunk heater, and there's this little T junction that splits off and a prick of a thing to get to. Real hard to get. Worse on my truck, I think, because so low and everything, but. It wasn't leaking real bad, but it was kind of like a cold water leak, but it was just continual. It, 
I put a oh. I put a gallon of coolant in on Friday when I left, but you'd had all the coolant out, so I expected to do that. And then I topped it off on Saturday, and then it rained on Saturday. And when I pulled into the truck stop that night and I hopped out, and as soon as I hopped out, it's like, yeah, I got coolant leaking because hot coolant, uh, coolant landing on a hot exhaust pipe, and you, you just smell that smell. So Sunday morning, I got under there and had a look, and sure enough, it's like, yep, it's leaking. So, but I went back, and they fixed it. So took care of me. Peace. So peace. Pete, find out yep. who worked on it and what we what we did fix and why we didn't catch that one. And let me know. There was so it was odd. Um, it's an odd line that we didn't have the right parts for. It wasn't just a piece of hose or Strataflex. It was some odd fittings, and we were concerned about June that we couldn't get the right parts in time to take care of it. So it wasn't just a standard piece of heater hose or a piece of Strataflex. I know there was a little more involved with that. I can get with Brian and, and find out the exact details, but it wasn't um, as cut and dry as changing a heater hose. Yeah, one okay. simple. Yeah. <laughs> so everything's complex on my truck. So, but with, um, I'd sort of mentioned that to him, but yeah, so well, that's pretty much all I got. So I'm down here in Chattanooga, loading some Volkswagens. So. How do you like the new trailer, Paul? It's good. It's magic because it's new and it so some of the added features I I added onto it so like over a sliding fifth wheel when I built this truck originally we were still limited to 75 feet from front bumper to tail light so I had a real short sliding fifth wheel on a long wheelbase truck to still get to 75 feet well then they said oh you can be 80 feet long now so I stretched the stinger out uh, 11 inches, I think. And then the new trailer, I made it so the tail lights will stretch out. So if I had my fifth wheel pushed all the way home and my tail lights where Cottrell built them originally, I'm at 76 foot one inches long. And then if I stretch the fifth wheel out and then slide the tail lights out on my modification I did, I can get to 79 foot five inches long. So I can grow three feet four inches so it works out real good so load i had the other day um i had eight feet hanging off the back of the trailer when the tail lights were pulled pushed in so i just popped the pin and slid the tail lights out two feet made it legal so you had how many what did you have nissan pickups on there or something yeah five pickup trucks and four cars yeah okay so you said something on Facebook about when you know how to load it. Is that the picture? Oh, yeah, stagger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, the overlap is a lot of guys don't don't know how to stack stuff. So, yeah, they just try and load everything flat, which sometimes that don't work because you run out of lineal length. To, it's like, oh, the wheels are still hanging off the, off the back of the deck. So, yeah. Because the, the, new, the new quick loader trailer where the whole – the trailer's longer, but the whole top deck is one solid piece. So you just pull it up and line them up. But I still like my versatility of the trainer I got. So. Hey, hey, Paul. I saw. Yeah. I saw a setup this morning, and it just looked really awkward to me. And it looked like it would pull funny, but I've never driven a car hauler, so I have no idea. So it was a full car hauler rack on the tractor, the whole shot. The only vehicle yep. on 
the setup was one of those electric Amazon vans. And I imagine they're pretty heavy oh, okay. be, being electric. It was all the way at the back, and it was the only vehicle on the whole setup. Yeah, he just let the, let the back. Maybe he wasn't going far, but um, or maybe he was going to pick something else up, and he's going to be taking it off. But I can't uh, imagine that would pull yeah, well. So. Sometimes that's what we do, though. It's like, just stick yeah, it on the back top because I, I kind of you figured don't have to move by it, it. It might be a time issue. You know, when I, I've talked about when, but, when I was at FedEx and we never knew how much our trailers weighed. We only know, knew what percentage they were full. And occasionally you get a really light trailer up front and a really heavy trailer in the back. And most of the time depending on how far i had to go i would take the time to stop and switch them they pulled so bad yeah well i i know a guy that had a a ram dually on the back top and he got in wet weather in texas you know i had rain for a month or whatever and then yeah. it's downpour the roads get real slick and he ended up jackknifing because yeah. all it, that you, you put 8,000 pounds right on the tail end of the trailer behind the tandems. Yeah, it's legal and everything, but well, as soon as he hit the brakes and it it jackknifed. Yeah, well, this looked, I, yep. I have to believe one of those electric vans is pretty heavy, and it was as far back as it could be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, maybe uh, he wasn't going far and just going not. to pick something else up, so who knows, but. All right. Yeah, sometimes it pays to pull it up further on the trailer, so safer. Yeah. So, All right. Yeah. Thanks for the call. We're going to keep moving. Let's go to Florida. Sean, welcome. Sean, are you with us? Yes, I can hear you. All right. What's on your mind? Oh, I was just calling back to uh, update you on my two-truck situation. I'm down to one truck now and no truck payments. And uh, I got my boost gauge from Bruce and put it in the 660, so... Today is the first time driving with that in, so see if you can gain any knowledge there. And how many pound of boost does it make on a hard pull? I've only had one kind of pull up 75 leaving Florida, and I got it to like 32 was about as high as I could get it. Okay. Um, I'm not really it loaded. It's what the uh, CM2350. Okay. All right. And on the okay, so so you're not really loaded. So on a level, where's your boost? It's staying like uh, below ten, five to ten. If I hit a little bit of a hit, a little right. it'll climb up to ten. You know, right. maybe fifteen if the hill's a little bigger. It's fairly windy today, right. so you know that's pulling me down a little bit here and there. But it, it's pretty well staying between five and ten pounds with the cruise set at sixty-eight. So, if you take the cruise off and ride your foot on it, can you keep the gauge from moving so much? Uh, yeah. yeah I mean, it, it stays about it stays about the same. I mean, obviously, with my foot in it, I I see the hill coming, so I you know sure. increase but speed cruise, sooner than the cruise, the cruise is going to take. If the cruise is going to take fifteen pounds, you should be able to pre-accelerate and go up it in twelve pounds or less. Right, right. That's that's what I was saying. So if I, I can get it where it'll it'll hold the speed a little bit better before the cruise tries to take over. So right. yeah, it's pretty well maintaining ten pounds or less just on the on the flat, you know. And then as you feel the wind gust, it you know it picks up a little and then goes right back. Sure. Sure. Okay. Uh, 
so it seems to be okay. This is the first time I had I got installed it last night, so this is the first trip I've taken it on since I had it home right. and, and got the gauge from you. So uh, I'm pretty well, I guess, just going to make it. Uh, I guess my goal is to try to put as little money into this truck as I have to in the time being because I think what I'd like to do is just look for something new, and uh, that's kind of where I'm on the path to now is what, uh, you know, what would be the best way to go is as far as truck and specs and all that. So, um, but I was able to sell the peak for what I wanted and, uh, don't have payments on either one of them now. So I'll have a few months of no truck payment to make up my mind, I guess. Sure. There you go. And, uh, hopefully figure out a way to get, I'd like to do this thing to at least be able to get up around seven or a little bit better for an average instead of the six, three that it's been doing. Um, but I'm not real sure what to look at next as far as, you know, why it's only seemed to average about 6.3. I don't know. Does the boost all sound about right to you, Bruce? Well, what engine is it and what kind of truck and what gearing? It's the 2014 T660 ISX. Okay. 10-speed uh, okay. auto shift with 325 rears on low pro 22s. Okay. Yeah, it sounds about normal when you get a good load on it someday and, and you're driving it. Give me a call and let's talk about it. Yeah, when I come back south tomorrow afternoon, I'll be going over like Jellicoe and stuff there in Tennessee. And I'll have a, you know, I'll be as loaded as, as I'm going to be, which will still probably be a little under 60,000. And, um, and then the following week, I have to take it uh like up to Kentucky and then from Kentucky up to New England yeah. and stuff. So I'll be running some 81 and stuff up there. So okay. should be able to get All a right. pretty good idea. Sounds good. How it's doing. So, All right. Uh, do you guys have any input on as far as newer trucks? I know every, you know, Joel is big on the Volvos, you know, on Fridays. And as far as what you guys see for a single truck owner operator, I mean, a X15 versus a pack car, I, you know, where are you all's thoughts as far as? Well, I would buy the X15 and a, and a uh, Peter Builder Kenworth is what I would buy. So, so far, my uh, feelings with salespeople has been better with Kenworth uh, to this point. I've had a lot of phone calls not returned and emails and such. But So what are you getting from the salespeople at Kenworth? I mean, they're returning your calls. What are they giving uh, you for advice as far as how you should spec something? Well, like one of the parts that, I, that they're resisting me on is I'd like a six by two and they don't seem to want to spec a six by two and other, anything but a tag configuration. And they're really trying to discourage me from it because they say it's, they'll want double the money for a deposit to order it. And they also just say that it's going to hurt the resale value of the truck. And my um, answer that, to them, where, the, my answer to them is I'm not a fleet. I keep my trucks to a million plus miles and resale becomes almost a non-issue. Everything over a million miles starts right. to sell for about the same price anyway. So I, I, resale value doesn't even enter the equation for me on a truck ever. Right. Yeah. Well, and that was my question to them is, okay, well, what, what would I stand to gain efficiency wise? Would that not zero the two out anyway, even if that was a thing, you know, well, well, wait I, that's minute. where wait, they don't wait. have any answers for me. Co correct. And that was going to be my point. You, you said you're getting more from the salespeople at Petcar, and the answer is you're really not. You, you got callbacks, which God, if we can't even get callbacks from salespeople in this environment, how awful is that? 
but but when they call you back, yeah. they're trying to talk you out of a more efficient truck, but they can't explain why. Right, yeah. Yeah, other than, than resale, and they it, don't want it stuck on their lot. For some reason, I don't take it, basically. You know, if we save Kevin, just three-tenths of a mile per gallon over a million-plus miles, that more than makes up for a whole bunch of difference in resale, but there's really not going to be much difference in resale anyway. Yeah, and that the, the resale doesn't concern me. What concerns me is how efficient the truck is through my use. Um, Correct. And but, and they are and they that, are not that's building, just one of the annoying things they, talking to them. They are not building nine mile per gallon trucks, much less ten mile per gallon trucks. Right. Um, but yeah, I've tried a few Volvo dealers and I get voicemails and I don't get, I don't get calls back. I don't know here's, if here's one of there's the a things certain dealership that's better to call. Well, here's one of the things that you should be doing. You should decide what kind of truck you really want and then find a good dealer and build that relationship. Right. Okay. Well. That's kind of where I'm starting is I'm, I'm open to anything and then kind of going to narrow it down from there. So what, what I would do is as you get in touch with the dealer, like you have with the, with the pack car, the Cummins, or call us and we'll go over the options. But any dealer that can, is just going to try to talk you out of a six by two without really understanding, I, I just wouldn't work with them. So you got to find the right people to build that relationship with. Let's um, let's keep going through the calls here. I'm going to have to wrap this up. Uh, at the top, we're going to Colorado. Dwight, welcome. Hey, um, hey guys. Three weeks ago, uh, called y'all about my transmission of that electronic eating. Uh, good, bad, indifferent. Um, I found some parts to throw at it and uh, wound up finding a rebuilt and uh, I just couldn't, I couldn't, I uh, wanted to go with 13, but I just couldn't do it uh, because they wouldn't take a core and it was four to $5,000 more and I didn't know if I could get my ECM program to check all the other stuff. So. Good and bad news is I got a rebuilt transmission, so I'm up and going. Uh, I'm not going to have the fuel economy I want, so uh, I'm going to work that fuel economy. I already drive slow, and I'm already light, but I do not have a tune on this 2003 ISX. What, what, what do – and it's just standard – 475 Porsche. Uh, do we think there's much we can do in that department? Uh, as far as engine goes, yeah, we can make, definitely make more power with it. As far as fuel mileage goes, the 570, there's there's a potential there uh, because of some of the like I would say quote low knocks tuning. Uh, where there's sort of a hole in the middle as far as timing goes. But I wouldn't expect a, a big jump, maybe maybe two tenths to, to four tenths of mile per gallon increase would probably be what I would see. Uh, that's kind of on average what I hear back from the 570s. Okay. Well, it, it's, I'm thinking it's under 500, 470 is what I, yeah. uh, it, it yeah, doesn't have power, it's, Yeah, not the problem. Yeah, we can go up in power, but yeah, just a few miles, it's going to be hard to squeeze out of that. And y'all can look at that on, um, 
the um, oh uh, the remote tuner. Y'all can y'all can do that for a remote tune. No, we no problem, right? Yep, that's correct. That's not okay. Um, well, I'm gonna look at that, uh, Kevin. I just was gonna throw in real quick on your Milo slash maize slash sorghum. Uh, growing up here in Texas, they used to grow a lot. We called it maize. It was called maize more than Milo, but it's in the sorghum family. And they used to grow about a third of that, a third of corn, and a third of cotton. Well, they went away with cotton a long time ago, but they're coming back. But they're not hardly doing any sorghum. And I don't understand why, or Milo, or maize, uh, what I have been told, because, yes, it's, it used to be, chicken feed used to be 50% of that or, or more. Uh, so they use it a lot or did use it a lot. And let me tell you what they use a lot of it for is uh, they use that to take the starch out of it. Archer Daniel Midland takes the starch out of it, uh, and it goes, I know it goes into sheetrock. Now, what else it goes into, I couldn't tell you, but it goes into a lot of products. So there is still some grown, but I don't know where they're growing it. I like, I, but what I was told. I, I saw quite a bit across well, 70 in both Kansas and Missouri that I don't remember seeing other years. Well, they, I, I, well, a lot of people were growing corn. Ever since the biodiesel, the government is paying and subsidizing corn. And yeah, so, they have been for uh, decades. I, I, yes. But we were growing a lot when I was growing up, this Milo and maize. Well, that and, seems uh, to but be there what... there are people growing it. That seems to be what everybody was saying, that we used to grow a lot of it, and now it's making some sort of a comeback, maybe. So, I just, like I say, I thought it was odd. Yeah. And it's, it's also possible that at different times of the year, I may not even have noticed it. You know, I noticed it this time because it's still in the field, and that just seems odd. So, right. maybe... Maybe it isn't a big change, but I yeah. thought it was weird that I noticed it and then I saw it on social media. That's just odd. Yeah. Well, I've traveled across there, and yeah, I've never seen. Hey, I don't see that much grown anywhere. Uh, I, I don't farm anymore. I lease all my farmland, but my guy, they used to rotate every three years. It was something different. Now well, they, it's corn, corn, corn. They did mention. I forget get what they were growing and they said that whatever they were growing kind of really destroyed and depleted the field so part of the reason to to put the milo in this year was to improve the soil but that doesn't even right. sound like a good answer because it seems like most of these farms just grow the same shit in the same field all the time and they just dump enough chemicals on it to make it work uh, yeah, they they used to not do that. At least they used to rotate. I, I they know. Don't my, my, my guy, I bet you in the last 20-plus years, he has grown absolutely nothing but corn. And <laughs> he's not I mean. the only one. Right. Every, yeah. Everybody, everybody, uh, you know, tens of thousands of acres around me, used to be rotated and now it's nothing but corn and you see nothing else yeah that, that's but, what i thought um, so when i when i did see this it just kind of caught my attention and then i thought it was odd that i would see it on social media let's go to michigan 
Brian, welcome. Hey, guys. Um, so, Kevin, now that you see how easy it is for a reasonably tech-savvy person to do a remote tune, and anybody that works for you, I think, could do one, although you'd probably get more business if you did them yourself, are you going to be a remote tuner? You know, I'm reconsidering again. I, I wanted to be there to do them, and now with me being a half hour away, it's going to be harder to schedule. So, But I had the same... When I did this, it was so easy. I mean, really, very easy. And I thought, I, anybody working at the warehouse, I could train them to do this. And then if I were around, I would do it. So we're, we're reconsidering again. Great, great. And uh, we're going to see you and Lisa, the owner-operator snowmobile conference, right? Uh, there's a remote chance you might see me getting Lisa out there in the wintertime is not going to happen. Okay. Well, that, that would be great. I'm, I, I haven't committed to going, but I would very much like to go. Yeah. Um, I, I love that area so, this year. If things work out, I'm not traveling anywhere during that time. So it, it's possible. We'll see. Okay. I've got a good sled for you, Kevin. All right. That's exciting. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Just give it to me, Bruce. Kevin can afford to rent one. <laughs> I'll tell Kevin um, that's the wildest thing he's ever had between his legs, too. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I'm not going there. Yeah. So I, I missed a lot of the show, but I caught a little bit of the open and, and I was already going to call about this. And it's funny, you guys were talking about, uh, you know, Bruce, you with your G600 pulling, pulling your RV with the doubles there. And I've been wanting to ask you um, if you ever had any trouble with that. I, I don't think it's technically legal in Pennsylvania and a lot of the eastern states. Uh, but I'm just wondering if you ever had any trouble with that or experience with that. I was getting on the Garden State Parkway up by Linden, New Jersey, and I'm headed to Atlantic City. And a guy at the toll booth was giving me some static. And he said, it's cars only. I said, well, I'm a motorhome. He said, doesn't look like a motorhome to me. I said, it's licensed as a motorhome. And just then a Prevo was going through the other way, and I knew they weighed about 48,000, and that's what I weighed was 48. And he gave me the ticket, and he was reluctant to let me on. And so hour or so later, I'm cruising on down, and seven New Jersey state troopers flew by me. And I thought, uh-oh, are they gaining up down there to decide <laughs> what they're going to do with me or what's going on? And so I'm just behaving myself, and then I come to all the blinking lights, so here there was a multi-car pileup. And I just moved over in the left lane and kept going. said, no, I was never stopped anywhere many times in California. I had recreational vehicle on the side of the toy hauler trailer and recreational vehicle not for hire on the Kenworth. Uh, a retired Connecticut state trooper that was a full-time RVer had to FL-60 Freightliner. He said, keep yourself clean and don't make eye contact with troopers. And exactly what I did. Never had a problem. There you, okay, there you go. One time in Northern California, they tried to get me to pull into a movie set. I should have went in. 
Yeah, and, uh, but I wasn't thinking fast enough. <laughs> I should have went in. Maybe I could have become a movie star, huh? Maybe so. <laughs> well, you know, do you guys know how Clint Eastwood became a movie star? No he was clue. working in a gas station, and a friend of his was on a movie set. And Clint was walking through all those Quonset Hut type places where they do the movies in Hollywood, and you know, he was, Clinton was just being Clinton walking through there and a guy called to him and said, Hey, you, what, the, what movie set are you on? And Clint says, I'm not on any movie set. I'm just here to visit a friend of mine. And the guy said, well, come see me. I think maybe I have a role for you. And it was Rawhide. Really? And that was the start for Clint Eastwood from uh, working in a gas station to Rawhide. There you go. Wow. So... Yeah, I had a chance to pull into a movie set, but I, I told him I don't. I'm not in your movie. I should have went in. <laughs> yep, you never know. <laughs> all right, that's all I got for today. All right, that's all we need, and it looks like we're gonna wrap this up. I've got to uh, get a, got to get back on the road and make it to Nashville. Looks like I got about five and a half hours from here, so uh, should be hey, rolling in early Kevin, this evening. If we're not going to. If we're not going to show up to Nashville next weekend, why are you showing up this weekend? Um, the event is next Thursday. So it gives me about a week just to, I'm going to go hide out somewhere. I'm not telling anybody where I'm going and I'm going to get my mind clear. It's been a, a rough couple of months with a lot going on. I have not written my keynote presentation yet. That's bad. I, mean, I, I, I normally be in your head. It's in your head. You don't need to write it. Uh, a keynote, I do. I, I, I don't do a lot of keynotes. I, I typically, you know, teach a topic, and that's easy. I mean, throw a topic at me, and I can walk up on stage and talk about it for hours. But a keynote, it's different. So I want to write a really good keynote, but I need some time to clear my mind. So that's why I push so hard to get here, even though I've got another week. I just want as much downtime as I can to get ready for this. Okay. So, all right. We will uh, see everybody back here tomorrow. We've got uh, Dr. Ben Tapper coming back to join us uh, for Destination Health tomorrow. Uh, one of the things I might talk about, Bruce, you know what I'm really enjoying this time on my trip? Kind of surprising. Since the last Go time ahead. I did a trip, we have added several different lines of food in the store. Lisa just loaded me up with food. I haven't been to the store on this trip. I haven't eaten out anywhere. We have got really, really good food in our store. There is so much good food in there. And I've got a coach full of it this time, and I'm really enjoying it. Good. Yeah. Good. If people aren't shopping in our store for food, they should be. They're missing out. We've got great stuff in there. Stuff you can't get anywhere else either. Well, Bill Strong brought me some good food, and Brandy Young has shipped me some good food. Good. And, uh, good. Yeah, so. All right. We will do this again next week. Thanks to the team from Pittsburgh Power. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.